Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say... Goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters, and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what? I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. Quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from Quince. Ooh, Mm -hmm. okay. Like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking, I'm going to toot my own horn, effortlessly chic. Whether it's winter or or summer, they've got premium European linen dresses, blouses and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, Get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Hello and welcome to Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. I'm Kate Spencer. And I am Dori Shafrir. And we are not experts. No, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Very quickly, you can visit our website, forever35podcast.com, for links to everything we mention on the show. You can follow us on Twitter at forever35pod. Instagram at Forever 35 Podcast. You can join the Forever 35 Facebook group where the password is serums. You can also shop our favorite products at shopmyshelf.us slash forever35. Sign up for the newsletter at forever35podcast.com slash newsletter. The last newsletter before we go on a little break is coming out tomorrow. So if you want to get in on that, sign up. And if you if you want to reach us, you can call or text us at 781-591-0390. And you can email us at forever35podcast at gmail.com. Well, 
here we are. If you listened to our um, previous episode, we hopped on and did a quick intro to let you know that today we would be talking about the Supreme Court's decision to overturn Roe v. Wade. Um, we've been recording episodes ahead of time because our vacation's coming up. And so I don't think we were surprised by the ruling, but we hadn't um, allowed ourselves uh, space to get to talk about it. So we wanted to do that today, briefly before our interview. Yeah. Like, number one, our, our emotional reactions are, I'm assuming, the same as yours. You know, yeah. I sat and I cried in an airport all day and looked around for people to make understanding eye contact with. How did that go? Not great. I didn't, I didn't really find anyone. And anytime I would make eye contact, I was like, are we making eye contact about the same thing? You know, we were, I was in right. a mask. So I was like, I, what do right. they think is happening? You know, but I was just like sitting there scowling and crying and, you know. Yeah. Yeah. That's where I was. <sighs> yeah. I mean, it's like, it doesn't make it better that we knew it was coming. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? Like, it's still, it still really sucks. Well, it's, it's awful for so many reasons. Um, and specifically the people whose health and lives will be impacted in so many ways by not having access to safe abortions, period, you know? And yeah, I do know. Yeah, I know you know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> um, so, you know, like we wanted to share some resources that we have found, but I think I want to point out, like, I'm not an expert in this area. We've had experts on, and please go back and listen to our interview with Jessica Pinckney, who's the executive director of Access Reproductive Justice here in California. <clears throat> they provide financial support and lots of other support for people seeking abortions. Um, she is an expert, but we can definitely share some resources that we have seen shared online and you know, we will do our best to be fighting and learning along with you all. Yeah. Should we talk about some of those resources? Well, I do think, I mean, Dora, you mentioned this on our brief intro, but I think one thing that you and I have both been like laser focusing on is the importance of local elections. So if you're inclined to donate to our giving circle with the States Project, we are raising um, funds there all of which are then allocated to um, candidates on the local level who can either keep a majority or help flip um, a legislation into a majority for. Yeah. And I did oh, I explain ahead. that correctly, Dory? No, no, go ahead. You. Um, well, no, what I was just going to say is we've alluded to this on the show before, but just, you know, I think we're really seeing how these efforts on by Republicans over the last few decades to focus on the state and local levels is like bearing fruit for them. And the New York Times wrote a piece about this a few days ago. Um, and they said, in many states, including Wisconsin, Ohio, Georgia, and Florida, abortion's new battleground is decidedly unlevel, tilted by years of Republican efforts to gerrymander state legislatures, 
while Democrats largely focused on federal politics. Way to go, so, motherfuckers. <laughs> so, you know, that the uh, we're kind of scrambling now. Democrats have won the popular presidential vote in five out of the last six elections, but Republicans control 23 state legislatures while Democrats lead 14 with 12 bicameral state legislatures divided between the parties. So, you know, this we're seeing like just how much this idea of states rights has is like really, really affecting (laughs) so many millions of people. So, um, this is why we uh, are so focused on this. I'll just read one one more part from this article that I thought just really like did a great job. We'll link to this in the show notes. Did a great job just kind of like giving a historical view of why this is happening. They write, unshackled by the Supreme Court and often largely unopposed by Democrats, conservative organizations backed by billionaires like Charles Koch, including the American Legislative Exchange Council and the Republican State Leadership Committee set out more than a decade ago to dominate policymaking at the state level and now unfettered by the constitutional rights under Roe, that dominance can come to fruition on abortion access, often regardless of public opinion. So, you know, if you've been skeptical about the power of state legislatures or why we're focusing on these races, this is why, because the Democrats need to build this infrastructure now. And, you know, it just it sucks that, like, we're going to have to spend the next years and decades like fighting, refighting this fight, because I think people felt like, well, this has already been fought. Well, guess what? Now we have to fight it again. But we will fight it. Like we're fighting, you know, <laughs> Tori is we're ready just- to fucking go. I'm ready to go. Okay. I just like, you know, the, like the other thing that this article really like hit home for me and something that again, we've talked about, but like just crystallized for me is like the Republicans have been playing this long game and we can play a long game too. You know, like bring it. I'm ready to play the long game. Okay. So (sighs) I'm ready to play with you. Oh, good. Okay. (laughs) Um, I I hear you. I hear you. I think it's really, and and I think the other thing, you know, to note that, you know, again, not an expert, but, you know, what Clarence Thomas wrote following the decision about how we should then reevaluate lots of other cases that give people access to, like, so many, I mean, just the rolling back of human rights that could possibly happen based on this decision for queer community, for, for so many people is is real it's real you know and i think it can feel certainly sometimes i'm like no way that's dystopian well it's real and it's happening and obviously we're incredibly concerned and we're going to keep making our podcast about serums but as we've always said this is a vital part of of self-care so we're here for it we're here for the for the fight and look, I don't want to discount the fact that like, yes, we're playing the long game, but like this is, again, this is going to suck for a long time. And it's going to materially affect people's lives in a way that for a lot of them is going to be irreversible. And, you know, that is, that is the reality. Um, so, yeah. and I will say like, 
they're, you know, outside of just like Democrats, but in terms of abortion care networks, there have been people who have been preparing for and doing this work for decades and there are resources. And so I do feel like it's our job to support and lift up those people doing, doing this work. Um, Mm -hmm. So that is what we're here to do. So yeah. a couple of things I'm, I'm pulling from a, a post that I saw shared online. Again, some of these resources were new to me. I don't want to be like, I know all this already. Um, we will link to the original post. The poster's name is Jex Blackmore. I've saw this, this went viral. Um, but they had a lot of good resources. Uh, there is an organization called if when how, which provides um, legal support in regards to reproductive justice in uh, English, Spanish, and Chinese, which is very important. Um, if you are curious about abortion funds, donating in general to abortion funds, or finding l- abortion funds that are local to you or to a community that you care about, uh, I believe their website is abortionfunds.org. There's also the Abortion Care Network that can help you find clinics. Um, one thing that I am still learning about is that you can access and obtain abortion pills to use at home mm-hmm. which i th- which i think n- not a lot of people realize including myself including including me um so i two places that i think have information on how to do that plancpills.org and aidaccess.org um i do just want to note that uh i i saw today on Twitter that Facebook is taking down posts about like people offering to mail abortion pills to people in other states and and the sort of ethical the ethics of Facebook doing that aside I do think it what one thing that it does highlight is like a lot of the stuff that you say on social media on email on even in you know texts like that is not don't think of that as private. Um, and there are a lot of ways that you can be surveilled, whether you are someone who's seeking an abortion or offering help for people seeking abortion. Um, I'm actually, I tweeted about this. The tweet went viral. And wow. I'm now, I know, Kate, I do. I'm not on Twitter. So <laughs> I didn't, I didn't see this happen. That's so exciting. I'm proud of you. Yeah, it was kind of crazy. Um, and now I'm writing something for InStyle. That's like a guide to like keeping your shit private. Yeah. So this InStyle article, which might not be up exactly when this, um, episode comes out, but should be up by the next day, I think. Um, is basically going through like all the steps that you should take if you are seeking an abortion to keep your digital footprint uh, private. <laughs> um, and yeah, I mean, these, these things, it's not a, it's not just like an intellectual exercise. Like these things are real. And the attorney general of Texas has already said that he will be, you know, looking at things like browser searches and like shit like that. I mean, like we are really living in a dystopia so um i just wanted to to bring that up as well yeah another thing that i have seen mentioned that i think is <clears throat> worth 
noting, um, because I think it ties into the larger conversation, is that a lot of people have posted that meme of like, if you need to go, quote, camping in my state, come visit me and you can stay with me and I'll help you get your camping equipment. Or You know the meme I'm talking about, Mm -hmm. which is like people using coded words for essentially saying, if you need to come, if you need to come to where I live to get an abortion, let me know and you can stay with me, which is obviously kind. But the purpose of abortion funds is that that is what they do already. There are already people who have systems in place, networks in place who are doing that safely. And so I truly think the best thing we can do is give our time and energy to the organizations who are already doing the work. Yeah. And, you know, like Kate mentioned to that end, I would highly suggest listening to our episode with Jessica Pinkney. I also do just want to put in another plug for our episode with Melissa Walker of the States Project, where you can really hear more about the work that they are doing and where the money that we're raising is going to go. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, Kate, I think that's such an important point. Like we, you and I don't need to reinvent the wheel. Yeah. We are not, we literally say we're not experts and we are not experts about this. Yeah. There are experts already. Just to clarify, right? Like that doesn't mean that you get, you just get to like sit back and let the experts deal with all the stuff, you know, like, we can still be involved. We can still donate money. We can still volunteer. We can still do all the things, but within this infrastructure and this framework that they have already set up and have spent years building. So yeah, I just want to, I think that that's just like an important clarification. Like this doesn't let you off the hook. You know what I mean? (laughs) I totally agree. Totally agree. And posting on social media, I think is the, the bare minimum that anybody can do. My, I'm speaking to myself. I'm not, you know, I, this is an important reminder to myself about what it means to really show up right now. So, and all the time. Yeah. And then just one, one last thing that I want to say before we um, introduce our guests, but uh, this thing, you know, that Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez posted the other day about community, I think is another thing that's so important. Like, we can start small, like we can build these social connections and this community and do all those things on a, on a micro level. And those are the things that are still so important, right? Like everything's going to shit at the macro level, but like Mm -hmm. we can start this kind of groundswell. We can talk to our neighbors, we can talk to our friends. Um, and yeah, I mean, I just, Angela Garbus writes about this in Essential Labor, but, you know, just I think the power of community is something that we saw during the pandemic that's just so important. And and I hope that we all continue to kind of try to build on that. I agree, Dory. We've got to save ourselves right now because it's not happening yeah. from the government. Yeah. yeah. Well, <sighs> well, Kate... Uh, Yes. <clears throat> um, I feel like we could we could talk more about this, but we do need to introduce we will. our wonderful guest. Yes, and we will. Um, do you want to take it away? Yeah, and I actually think this is a really it's Rebecca. Our guest today is Rebecca Soffer, and you know she is you know a leading figure in the grief community. And I actually think this is a really 
appropriate episode um, to share in the wake of the Supreme Court's ruling. When Rebecca was 30, she lost her mom in a car accident one hour after dropping her off from a family camping trip to the Adirondacks. And four years later, her father died of a heart attack while on a cruise. And Rebecca co-founded Modern Loss, which started as a website about coping with grief um, and has really turned into so much more, a movement, a community. It's really incredible. Rebecca has gone on to lead Modern Loss retreats at Kapalu. She has keynoted for several organizations, including Good Grief and Capital One. And she's also hosted and read at Modern Loss's live storytelling events. She's an incredible storyteller and communicator. She's also a mom. Rebecca is the author of two books about grief. Um, the first book is called Modern Loss Candid Conversations About Grief, Beginner's Welcome. It's by Rebecca and Gabrielle Berkner. And uh, I might have a piece in that book. So definitely <laughs> oh, check it out. And her most recent book is The Modern Loss Handbook, an interactive guide to moving through grief and building your resilience. And both Dory and I found this book extremely impactful. It's an amazing guide for grief in a world where there really aren't a lot of accessible books about grief. Um, this book is fantastic and very inclusive. and I highly recommend you checking it out. We are so excited to share our conversation with Rebecca. She'll be here after the break. We'll be right back. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. You know, Dory, we talk to a lot of really fantastic, intelligent people on this podcast. But I don't know, maybe you're like us and you want to go even deeper. Mm, I'd love to go deeper. We like to go deep. And that's not only possible with today's sponsor, but also easy to accomplish on Masterclass. Every year I get really into the classes offered and the instructors offering them. Like I'm all over the place with the things that I like on Masterclass. But this year I am very interested in the class Redefining Feminism, which is 14 lessons from Gloria Steinem. Okay. Now, they dissect issues women face in the U.S. and ways we can play a role in the feminist movement in our everyday lives. Look, I majored in women and gender studies in college. So this is right up my alley. But even if you didn't, even if you're like, this is the first time I'm I hearing mean, those words. I would argue, especially if you didn't. Yes. Get into it with Masterclass because this is the year you can really learn from the best to become your best with Masterclass. Go from just talking about improving to actually doing the things you've been wanting to do with Masterclass. And it doesn't have to be redefining feminism with Gloria Steinem. It can be gardening in your own garden or your yard or patio. It can be learning to cook Indian food or designing a space that you love. Masterclass offers over 180 world-class instructors. So whether you want to master like negotiation 
with Chris Voss, or Think Like a Boss with Martha Stewart, or maybe Capture Your Vision Through Photography with Petra Collins. Masterclass has you covered. With Masterclass, you get unlimited access to intimate one-on-one classes with the world's best. And right now, our listeners will get an additional 15% off an annual membership at masterclass.com slash F35. Get 15% off right now at masterclass.com slash F35. That's masterclass.com slash F35. Kate, I feel like we are like barreling into summer. It's happening so fast. It is. And I feel like also with summer just come more social events, there's weddings, there's nights out, it's vacations. I mean, like all the things happening in summer. And what I love is that Honey Love has just the right thing for all those events. Feel comfortable and confident this summer with Honey Love's best-selling Superpower Short. The Superpower Short smooth shapes and lifts, giving you a flawless silhouette under any outfit with targeted compression technology that distinguishes between areas where you want more support and areas you need less compression. It's designed to work with your body, not against it. Speaking of working with your bod, the crossover bra, which I'm wearing as we speak. I wear that thing every day. I do too. Uh, It's my favorite Honey Love piece. Let Let me just tell you why. Yeah, get into okay, it. Do you want to tell me why? <laughs> no, no, I was just going to say like, I, I I, don't even need to wear it to events. I wear it like the event is every day of my life. Yes, that's such a good way of putting it. The bra gives all the support of traditional bras without using any underwires. And just like sidebar, I have put on some of my old underwire bras lately and been like, oh God, like get this off of me. <laughs> No, thank once you. you. Once you start wearing Honey Love, you're just like, no, not yep. going back. You see how also, it could like, be. Yes. Also, like summer sweat under those underwires is like, ugh, the worst. Now you don't have to worry about it. Get the support you need with the comfort you deserve and treat yourself to the best bras and shapewear on the market. Save 20% off at honeylove.com slash forever. Use our exclusive link to get 20% off honeylove.com slash forever. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. The summer vibes are just getting started. So shape your life with Honey Love. You know, the weather's getting warmer. So I, for one, am ready to say goodbye to my jackets and my sweaters and hello to shorts and tees. I'm right there with you, Kate. And you know what I actually, actually, I donned double quince the other night. I've got to tell you. Okay. This is what's so great about quince because I feel like I have really been able to update my wardrobe like for the long haul without spending a fortune. I wore a gorgeous white tee, like a simple, perfect white cotton t-shirt from Mm. quince, but it was a little chilly out. So I threw on my cashmere hoodie, also from quince. Ooh, mm-hmm. okay. It, it, like they have basically given me a lineup of timeless pieces that I feel like keep me looking. I, I'm going to toot my own horn. Effortlessly chic, whether it's winter toot, or, toot, Kate. or summer. They've got premium European linen dresses, blouses, and shorts from $30. You've got washable silk tops, really stunning 14 karat gold jewelry, and 
so much more. Like truly, the list goes on and on. And the best part is that Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And they only work with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes, something that's very important to us. So look, if you're going on a trip, if you just need to update your summer wardrobe, get warm weather ready with Quince. Go to quince.com slash forever35 for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash forever35 to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash forever35. Rebecca, we're so glad you're here because we are we are people who like to speak very openly and honestly about stuff, and that is what you do with grief so well. But before we dig into that, we love to ask our guests at the start of every interview for a self-care practice that they have in their own lives. So we know you've had a busy couple of years, <laughs> but is there something that you have implemented that serves as self-care for you? Yes. And maybe it'll sound cliche, but like it's been really helpful for me. So a couple years ago, there was this thing called a pandemic <laughs> that entered into our lives. Familiar. And, yeah, familiar with that term. And and over the previous couple of years, I had gotten worse and worse at maintaining a regular exercise schedule because I had my youngest child is five and he was a baby when my first book came out. And I really, I was on book tour and it really got hard to like figure out a structure. Also, I was in Manhattan. It's just like everything is amazing there and also really hard there. So it was just mm-hmm. so hard to juggle like being a new parent and like having a book and working for myself. And the thing that slid was the regular routine, the workout routine. And I feel like it was really detrimental to me on many levels, like not just like the physical level, but like the mental health level. And when COVID hit, we found ourselves um, relatively soon thereafter in the Berkshires in Great Barrington in a house that we had had for the last 10 years. And we have a Peloton here, which like, by the way, I had used a small handful of times because I have little kids. Like, when do they let you do that? But I was taking care of my whole family because half of them were sick with COVID in March Mm. 2020. It was very overwhelming and very scary and very uncertain. And I remember getting everyone to bed and taking care of everyone. And then it would be like 930 at night. And I was so stressed and so scared and so confused. And I would think about like the Peloton downstairs. And I'm like, maybe I should just do that. And I started doing it and it became my self-care practice to the point where like, I I mean, I was doing it like five times a week. And really, yes, of course, I saw like the physical benefit. But just to have that ritual and to know that for like 30 minutes, because like I'm not doing hour-long Peltum rides. Come on. Um, <laughs> so, come on. Um, I mean, okay. Like the 20 minute, I'm like, eh, like that's not, did you really do it? But like I can do 30 minutes. And and after that 30 minutes, I I did notice like, my brain had calmed a bit. My body felt better. Like everything that felt like undoable 30 minutes beforehand felt maybe like 
maybe a little bit doable afterwards. Mm. And so I really was like, you know what? Um, as someone who works for themselves, I think it's really hard to make your exercise and physical wellness time part of your work schedule because you're like, oh, that's a luxury. But I actually realized that like doing that and it's still now part of my, not just the Peloton. I do, I do, I do. I'm an outside cyclist and I've Mm. been doing that a lot. And for me, it's like the way that I can deal with my shit. It is like the way. And if, if I have like three hours and I have so much work to do, and I haven't exercised in like two or three days. I, I just, I convince myself that that time is part of my work time because I, I can't work well mentally without it. So yeah, it's, it's, I, I'm a big believer in it. The body keeps the score, you know? It really yes. does. So it's you've so got to deal with that, you know? <laughs> I do, I, I do appreciate the way that you're framing this because as someone who also works for herself, I find that exercise is often the first thing to go like oh i just don't have time today i have so many calls blah, blah, blah or whatever um but kind of making sure you work it into your day as part of your work day i really like that framing i'm going yeah. to ruminate on that thank you i yeah, do i can cons- i do i consider it part of my work day i mean i don't i i just do and i think that just it's just how i frame it and how i frame it, it that's very helpful to me because it's like an accountability thing, not just like, oh, your body needs it. No, no, no. Like I can't write clearly unless I do that. I can't have like do like seven interviews in one day mm. unless I clear my head and my body gets the spilkus out. Like I'm on spilkus mm-hmm. all the time. You know, I mean, look at all the news cycle that we're enduring. We have to we need to move our bodies. It's like it's very, very important. So that's how I do it. Well, and your work is within the grief space. Yeah, that too. (laughs) It's really, it's really intense to be kind of constantly processing your grief and other people's grief, but also to be creating a space where people come to work through grief. Like that's, you're carrying a, a, a heavy load. And so it, I can yeah. see how that would help kind of move through it. Yes, it's true. I am. Um, and I say that not like, oh, like all the loss that's happened to me, just that like I really do. Um, my choosing is to hold space for an entire community of people who are dealing with various layers and levels of loss and grief. And that is what I've chosen to do. And I really believe in it now more than ever been doing it nonstop for like almost nine years. Um, but it gets to be a lot sometimes, um, especially now, like with a book out and I have to like talk about how my parents died like three times a day, <laughs> which is, by the way, it gives me no joy. And also I hate it. Like I actually hate doing it. I wish I didn't have to. I don't enjoy this part of it. Um, but I, I feel like, uh, grief is something that you, you just cannot you can't fix anybody's grief. And sometimes I feel like so helpless with some people where I just wish I could make it better. And I really do believe that inherently through my work, I am doing my small share in making it better. Mm. Like it's all I can do, but like I can't fix it for somebody. And so this feeling of impotence and like then I take on their grief because I'm very much like a deep feeler. I access mm. all the feelings. Um, so I take on, 
some some hard feelings from others. And I feel like that feels very uncontrollable because you can't fix it for them and then you can't fix it for you. So I realize, oh, the control that I do have is getting on that Cannondale and like going on that, you know, that Alfred loop near my house or like doing the Peloton or even just like walking. Like I have become a power walker. My mom would be so proud of me. (laughs) I power, I own that power walk, you know? And like, I do feel like that is, it's like a modicum of control that I have in a field that has very, very little control. Yeah. You in, in the modern loss handbook, which I have to say, I think is fantastic as someone who like, has written about grief and dealt with grief. And you and I came to know each other through our dead parents. Yeah. Um, You're my dead parent friend. Yeah. Which, which (laughs) I want to talk about later because you write about kind of communities that grow from grief, which I love, but it's a, it isn't, it actually feels like um, a genuine and authentically helpful book, which I feel like so many times when people go searching for grief guidebooks. It's all kind of, you know, cheesy and very nineties, but you have a, you have a really great chapter that focuses on trigger days, which I I never heard anybody call them that, but we all know what they are. And I thought it was a really, I'm so glad you talk about it. Um, so I wanted to kind of get your perspective because I do feel like the conversation has picked up about certain trigger days, like mother's day and father's day, for example, and I would love to kind of get your thoughts on the conversation that's happening now. Do you think that these things that companies are doing, like letting people opt out of emails, is that actually helpful? Is this all performative? Is there any way to truly navigate these trigger days we experience with our grief? I mean, you know, it's it's interesting. Yes, I have called them trigger days. And in the wake of the last few weeks of all this gun violence, I kind of wish that I hadn't, um, but it kind of is what it, I mean, like, you know, like we can only do our best and we, yeah, I, I mostly call some of these days, like, especially when they fall all together anniversary season Oof, <laughs> and yeah. not the anniversaries that make you feel really good, just the real bittersweet ones. And so, yeah, like the Hallmark holidays, the birthdays, the death anniversaries. Um, but yeah, specifically to answer your question, when it comes to like Mother's Day, Father's Day, we are now getting more and more opt out emails from companies that have been become hip to the fact that their clients are human people. Shocking. And that they're not just like an email address on the other end, you know, in an inbox and that maybe they don't want to have Mother's Day jammed down their throats starting in like what March. Um, and so it's been nice to get those. And that started like a couple of years ago. And now it feels like everybody's doing it. And then the book, I do say, I do love this trend. Um, I have though noticed. And I won't name names mostly because I'm so tired that I can't remember brand names. <laughs> but, and there has been some chatter in the modern loss community about like, it does sometimes, it, it, some of them feel like performative, like, oh, like we're going to get this halo effect by offering this opt out. Like you, I do believe in the opt out. I, 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 I don't think it has to be performative. I think you can literally say, uh, we know this day can be something that you, just absolutely do not need looming in your inbox from us. Here's one click. We're out. See you on the other side. But if you, it's all in the messaging. If you're, if you're writing three paragraphs about it, if you're coming up with designs for your opt out option, <laughs> think about, are you doing it for your brand or are you doing it for the recipient? 
I'm just more of like a keep it simple, stupid type of person where it's yeah. like, ah, Mother's Day is going to suck for some of you. Click here. I'm not going to bother yeah. you. That's it. Yeah. And I love that. I, I absolutely think companies should do that. I think they should also do that with like, they're not going to, but like with winter holiday stuff, they're not going to because that's like the big marketing, you know, sales mm. period. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it's a fine line. And I do think that I think in your gut, of course, if you're a brand, you're not like one person, but I do think in your gut, you know, you know mm. what the intent is behind your messaging. Use it for, use your powers for good, you know, because people are smart and they can tell. Yeah. Well, they, yeah, right. It's like, it's easy to sniff that stuff out. Yes, it is. And I've seen it. And again, literally just too tired to remember details, but I've seen it more like, I feel like it started more like two years ago. And then last year there were more doing it. And this year it feels like everybody's doing it. But now I see, mm. I see the differences in messaging. Yeah. It, yeah, it's like it, it's still not it like it's become its own genuine. trigger day. <laughs> yes, exactly. You know? Well, that, that was yeah. there was a piece about that. I think in the Washington Post, where some people were like, "It's still upsetting to get these emails," mm. right? And it's like, Jesus, I, mean, I get look, it. With loss then, and grief, you can't win with every yeah. single person. Like, you literally cannot make everybody feel better all the time. And that is something that I have grappled with, with modern loss. Like sometimes people don't like seeing some of our, you know, it doesn't happen frequently, but like if we post about like a child or whatever, maybe some people who have had miscarriage, had stillbirth, they're like, I can't see this. I don't want to see this, you know, and I understand, you know, because everybody has their own triggers. But when you talk about grief, everything can be a trigger warning. You know what I mean? And modern loss is very much about letting it all hang out and having a really comfortable open space for people to share whatever they need to, as long as they're not hurting themselves or anybody else. Um, but yeah, like when it comes to the marketing, I mean, come on, lay off, lay off, <laughs> lay off. <laughs> don't make, don't make the opt out another Hallmark holiday. <laughs> I love too that you talk about, um, the way that grief, and you kind of touched on this, I think, through talking about your cycling, but like the way that grief connects so much to the physical aspects. Because I think one thing I always hear from people who are grieving um, is like, they'll be like, oh, my mom died two months ago and I haven't slept and like, I can't eat. Is this normal? Like, I don't think we, I don't think we culturally understand that grief manifests so physically in our bodies. Yeah. And it's not something that often gets talked about the way in which we, we process or the way in which the grief manifests. Um, so you kind of have a, you have a nice list that I think is really helpful because it's, I was like, when my mom died, I was like, what the fuck is happening to me? So what are some things that you have noticed or heard anecdotally that can happen to the body and, Maybe how did you personally physically experience grief? I mean, I've heard of so many things. I feel like the best way I can describe it is that I personally and many people I know have felt like their bodies turned into marionettes in mm, grief, yes. especially in early grief, that they're just like sitting there, but like someone else is like maneuvering a little like, you know, wooden handle at the top and it can just be anything like uh, we have pieces so we have a, a column on the site that's called grief bacon and it's all about the effect of grief on the body 
Right. And grief bacon, like there's a German term called Kummerspeck, which is it alludes to like emotional eating, like gained by like the the weight you gain from emotional eating and specifically in grief. And we just kind of expand it to we just call it grief bacon. And And it's like anything that grief does to your body. And so there are there's a piece I remember written by a woman who said her lungs like grief settled in her lungs. Mm. She was a runner and her brother died and she was having trouble breathing. She couldn't do long distance running. She couldn't catch her breath, you know. Um and then another person talked about how her entire body was clenched clenched tight after an ectopic pregnancy, clenched so tightly that she just couldn't let go. Um, and she didn't realize how tightly everything was clenched, like for months on end. Um, for me, you know, I, I went through the rigmarole, like I had like vertigo one month. Um, you know, my mom died in a car accident, so it was sudden. So there was a lot of like shock to the system and then like very, very slow starting to feel things that like I didn't necessarily mm. enjoy. Um, so I remember feeling really dizzy for weeks on end, um, feeling, you know, just like stomach pain. Um, and, and the dizziness like went into like, I actually went to a neurologist to get a brain MRI because I was like, what the hell? Like, why, why am I looking at the sofa and feeling nervous to like close the space that exists between my my head level and like where I'm going to sit down. And I thought that it was, you know, I was like, I have a brain tumor. Obviously, that's the only answer. And this guy was the first person who was like, well, you don't have a brain tumor. And I'm like, okay, well, are you sure? And he's like, yep, I'm looking at your MRI. Um, and I'm like, well, what could it be? And he's like, well, has anything, you know, like what's going on in your life? And I was like, oh, you know, like I'm working full time at a TV studio and like I, I have a really busy life and like my mom died in a car accident and yada, yada. And he's like, let's go back to like that third one. And <laughs> I remember he was the very first person who was like, I mean, when did your mom die? And I was like five months ago. Mm. And he said, well, that's, I mean, that that's like a really big loss. You know, you could. He basically didn't say this, but he's, he basically was like, this is grief. Like this could be grief. Mm. Your body is, is absorbing a lot right now. Um, and it was the first person, including the therapist I'd been seeing who was like, Hey, you, you like, you know, I don't think there's anything that's physically anatomically wrong with you. This is the manifestation of grief. Um, and you probably should deal with it somehow. And so I did, you know, I, it really, it just was the moment where it became very evident that, you know, I think I call it in the book, the mind body grief continuum and that you could mm. fool everybody but yourself. And I'd been like going about my life and pretending I was okay and like trying to deal with like the psychological aspect of it. And I hadn't quite realized that some of the stuff that I was having, like the headaches and all that was, that was grief too. You know, we just, I feel like we just saw the kind of very tragic manifestation of this when the husband of one of the teachers in Uvalde had a who who was killed had a heart attack the next day and died. Ugh. I know they said he died of a broken heart. Yeah, broken like heart literally syndrome. died of a broken heart. I, I, I mean and it could just... have been overwhelming stress and shock yeah. and like totally. obviously I'm cl- disclaimer not a physician not a therapist Same. but yes i mean i i i was in total shock when my mom died and and it was very sudden and violent and and absolutely not in a mass shooting and 
you know, something that was in the public eye and was a societal yeah. trauma too. So yeah, I mean, like <laughs> the body absorbs all of this. And I'm mm-hmm. a big proponent of like, I basically try and spread the gospel that like, yeah, I mean, the body remembers and the more you don't pay attention to it, the more it's just going to make itself known um, and in different ways. Um, and there's no like one fix. You're not just, just going to take Advil <laughs> or right, like right. you're not like just going to like train harder to run. You have to yeah. get to the root of it. So we're just going to take a short break and we will be right back. You know, we have been delving more and more into the topic of our skin as we get older and how we treat it and how we love it. Because look, as I'm learning in my mid-40s, as you get older, you deal with new things when it comes to your skin. Not that they're bad. They're just new. You know what I mean? Like I am now just discovering creppiness, Dory. Mm. Okay. Which is okay. I know. visible on my <sighs> neck and chest. Luckily, it's a thing. It's a thing. Luckily, OneSkin, our sponsor today, knows all about things like crappiness. And I'm not overly concerned with aesthetics, but like I do just want to keep my skin healthy as I age. Totally. I love their topical supplements. They really help your skin feel. I don't want to say younger, but just vibrant, Mm. refreshed. They combine tissue engineering, data analysis, and cutting edge longevity science to literally create the world's most effective product to help with skin aging. I am particularly fond of their face topical supplement. It's essentially a moisturizer, but it has their Mm -hmm. proprietary OSO1 peptide to really help with all the parts of our skin that are exposed to environmental damage. You can use it on your face, your hands, your neck. I know here Mm -hmm. where we live in Los Angeles, our hands, we're driving. That sun is coming at us at all times. One Skin believes the purpose of skincare is not just to improve how we look, but to optimize our skin biology so that it is more resilient to the aging process. They really create next level skincare. One Skin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and more importantly, acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code OVER50 at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code OVER50. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them and please support our show and tell them we sent you. Okay, we're back. Can we talk about the shitty things people say? First of all, you diplomatically, you handle this so diplomatically. I'm, of course, calling them shitty things. You're so much kinder about this. (laughs) But like other people navigating your loss alongside you, and this is something Dory and I have talked about a lot because we both experienced it in different ways in our own life. It's just an, I found, an added burden as the person going through it. So I I would love to know just anecdotally, if there was something that someone said to you that like really got under your skin. 
because we all have anyone who's gone through any yeah, sort of kind of grief. Yeah, I mean, I like, automatically go to when people ask if my mom was wearing a seatbelt. <gasps> no. Fuck. Yeah. yeah. No. To this no. day, to this day, I still Stop. get that question. Yeah, it's so not cool. Like, don't ever do that to somebody. I, I, I have, I have come to view it with more empathy. Not all the time. Like, I'm a yeah. human person, you know? Yeah. <laughs> so, but, um, I, it can really bother me, but, um, my response to that is like, why do you want to know? <laughs> mm. I've come to like own, and I think in the book, I actually suggest to people that if somebody says something or asks something, asks some unsavory detail that is like literally none of their fucking business about the circumstances of their person's death, that if you're at a loss for words, the most appropriate thing is to look at them very innocently and say, why do you ask? Because like, really? Why are you asking me that? Is that inherently tied to like how you're going to support me in loss by knowing if my mom wore a seatbelt or like if my dad was a smoker or if there were any warning signs before my boyfriend took his own life? Is that really something that you need to know? Um, but people ask and I, I, I have come to maybe try and see the compassionate side of things and realize that maybe we think that if we're asking for details and we and we understand that oh they weren't wearing a seatbelt or and so if I do maybe this isn't going to happen to me if there were warning signs maybe that's something that I can control and it won't happen to me or people around me yeah I've, I think I've, that's I've, it. I've chosen to kind of like view it from that lens because if not <laughs> I'll be really annoyed with like a lot of people, <laughs> not people who are like really good friends, but just, you know, people say that stuff, you know, but I also think it's cool to be like really annoyed with those people. Like you have my blessing because it's super annoying to ask if, you know, if you can always get pregnant again after a miscarriage, mm -hmm. you know, or if Ugh. you can always try IVF again. It's like, you know, we need to do better at telling people what is not okay to ask. Mm. And I, while I believe that grief and loss are very individual things and individual experiences, and I try not to say, don't do this, do this, because everybody is so different, I do believe that there are some things that absolutely just mm. generally don't help. And make someone feel even more unseen. Yeah. In a situation where they already feel pretty damn invisible. Yeah. Well, so as someone, let's say someone who wants to support a friend who is grieving, how, how can people be better friends to their grieving friends? Well, I think that these days it's actually a lot easier to imagine how you can be better than it was a couple years ago. Because the sad reality is that we're in the third year of a pandemic that has us all grieving. And if we haven't lost somebody to death loss during COVID, 
or not just to COVID, but like maybe during COVID and we couldn't go to a funeral or hug our people to, to remember them or mourn together. We've certainly lost something else. We've lost that feeling of control over our lives or of maybe the dream of a future of, of a job of roles or the, we're mourning the fact that we have so many additional roles piled onto us. I mean, there's just so much grief out there. There's societal grief. Like I could go on and on and on. You know exactly what I'm talking about. And so I feel like mm, we all know what it's like to not understand what the future looks like or feel really nervous about what even next month looks like because things are feeling so tenuous. Whenever we feel like we have a handle on this pandemic, there's another wave or, oh, no, just kidding. Now there's monkeypox. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> right. <Yeah. laughs> like, oh, no, we don't have a handle on any of this. Totally. Um, and so I feel like the best thing we could do is just put ourselves in that position of like oh, remembering that feeling because we all know what it feels like. And when we're in that space, I do feel like we're more open to having conversations with people who are grieving and like from death loss because we're on that level of we we know we know what that feels like. Yeah. We know the feeling of fear even if it's not connected to to their type of loss. We understand them better. Um yeah. and it helps us be more empathic. You know, it really does. But practically tactically, you know, you don't have to say the perfect thing. There is no silver you know, bullet when it comes to fixing someone's grief, there's mm. no way that you can alleviate all their pain. And sometimes the best thing to say when you have no idea what the thing is to say is literally that you can totally say, I wish I knew the perfect thing to say. I wish I had the wand that could wave this all away. Yeah. I'm so upset that you're going through this because it looks like it's really hard. You know, like you don't, this is not you making assumptions or anything. This is you saying that you care. You wish you could be helpful. You feel kind of impotent, but also, but I'm here. I love how you talked. You, you said, I wrote it down. You said, I truly believe your social support system has endless, endless growth possibilities after a loss. And I just thought that was really profound because there's this weird feeling when we go through grief or a loss in our lives that the outcome is all bad. And there are like beautiful things that come around as a result. And I think it is important to talk about that because it can feel like we aren't, you know, missing the person we lost or the experience we lost. But I, I do think that that really does. And I, I think Dory, you've like, you've had a whole community just come out of your conversation about infertility. That's amazing. So anyway, I just wanted to note that. Uh, but thank you <laughs> <laughs> to you, Dora. But, but how do you deal with the people in your life who ghost as a result of your grief or who ghost <sighs> and don't even realize they ghosted? Yeah, it's hard. I mean, look, uh, yeah, you and I, I mean, let's be clear, like Kate, you and I are grief friends. Like, I mean, yeah, I, I would like to think that we would have met each other because you're so amazing and like, I'm fine. Likewise. But like, you know, I, I would have liked to think that I would have met you and then like, been like, oh my God, please be my friend. Um, otherwise, but you live in LA and I do not. And instead we were connected 
by, I think, Tammy Sager. I think it was Tammy. <gasps> yeah. Who was like, you have to meet Kate. And then you wrote, Oh my God. Like, I just, I just fell in love with you. You wrote the best piece and you had no problem with me headlining it. How I'm making Mother's Day my bitch. And that's when I, I knew. In fact, I, loved I was in it. love with you. I was like, Oh my God. She's either going to be really turned off or she's going to really or like she's- it. On your level. Or she's my person. And so I have just adored you since that moment. And you've moved so many people in the modern loss community. And so, yeah, I could talk all day about like how you can build your circles and how people will come out of the woodwork for you. And Mm, I can almost promise that I can. I really can. And I can't tell you how or when or why or who. I can't. But I can tell you that if you want it and you're open to it, that it, that, that it will happen. I really believe that. Um, but yeah, like let's talk about like the underbelly of that, which is the fact that we don't talk enough about the fact that you're going to probably lose some friends. Um, and that sucks. It's so unfair and that not everybody can hang with your loss and that people who you think were your rides or die, maybe even some of them will be those people who fall off. And who just can't deal with the discomfort of, you know, whatever it is they think you're going through, whatever details they think that you're living. Um, and it's just so hard because we take it so personally because we also, inver- it happens at a time when we're so vulnerable and like we don't want to be like the Debbie or Danny Downers. We're so aware that we're like scared to bring things up with our friends because they don't want to be like the womp womp every time. So it really yeah. doesn't help us when like one of those friends just like pieces out when we need our people the most. It just makes us more paranoid and more self conscious, right? And more like less apt to really share. Um, and that's so hard. It really is. Look, I lost some friends. Um, I would say that many of them are still my friends now. Hmm. I can say that because some of us had to take breaks. Some of my friends were in very overwhelming periods of their own lives like medical medical residencies, you know, like literally like doing surgery and like being hazed by older physicians and just could not intuit what I needed at any given moment because they were in their own misery. Others like maybe had newborns at home, you know, like everyone has still their own lives. Um, and some of them really fell through and I was really angry with them. And some of them couldn't come through for the reasons that I said, which were just like, I don't know why. They were just weird about it. And those people are really not in my life anymore. It's not a lot of people, but it was kind of like I had to figure out where my boundaries were. And I got to the point where I was like, I'm not feeling good. Like I'm trying to reach out to this person. I'm hoping for more. I feel like I'm not asking for much. I just want them to call me. (laughs) I just want to like see them. But they weren't available. They made it very clear with their absence that they weren't present. And so I just was like, okay, like, I guess I already feel like such shit. Like, why would I choose to feel shittier? And so Mm -hmm. I drew some lines, you know, and then with others who I thought I'd drawn lines from, a lot of them are still my closest friends and some time had to go by so that we could see each other more clearly. You know, their circumstances had to change. Mine had to change. And I'm really glad that, you know, I do encourage people not to like, cut people out forever right away, you know, Mm. unless it's something really hurtful and just very much like in the not unforgivable, but unforgettable side of things. 
That's such a good reminder, just in general, <laughs> I think. Um, yeah, in general, not just in grief, in, yeah. in social dynamics. Like yeah. you have to, the chapter is called like navigating and negotiating social dynamics because it's not just navigating. Uh, you know, like a lot of the book is like trying to get people to realize that that phrase, like empower yourself, like empower yourself. It's like, uh, you don't have to empower yourself. You're empowered, you know, like you have these yeah. abilities inside you. And when we feel so vulnerable moving through loss, not just in the first month or year, but like kind of always, there's a little part of us that always feels vulnerable. Um, we have to remember that like we can get what we need for the most part by going for it, you know? And sometimes mm -hmm. that means drawing boundaries. <laughs> Sometimes that's going yeah. for it. Yeah. And sometimes that's asking people for things that they can do for us. Yeah. So that we can in turn be a better friend to them or a better colleague or employee. You know, we, you can't draw from an empty well. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think all of us has been, have been kind of drawing from empty wells for a really long time. Yes. Yeah, my well is um just a dusty hole. <laughs> oh my god. Mine's like mine has like so many echoes in it and it's not like water. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need a better metaphor these days. Uh I don't even know like It's a great like metaphor. Like a Pez dispenser. You know, it's like, <laughs> oh my god, let's go. <laughs> Pez. Like they they're seemingly limitless, right? And then you get to the end and you're like, what? No, like no tablet? I feel like I've been like, you know, clicking my Pez dispenser on empty for a very long time. And yet I still have the ability to like give to, you know, work wise and personally, but it, you know, it's, it's, it's taking longer to re recover and it, it's, it's more frequent needed recovery periods. Even therapists I work with, they are saying they, they have compassion fatigue that they're, you know, like not doing well. It's like when the people, who are holding us up and carrying us through are not doing well. What does that say about how we're doing overall? Wow. Compassion fatigue is a phrase I've never heard before, but I can only imagine what that must be like. It must be hard. Really freaking hard. So I guess, Rebecca, as we wrap, what are your hopes for the kind of dialogue about grief, especially, you know, as we're, Talk. I mean, Dory, you mentioned it in your, your newsletter that came out today, like just the, the grief of parents who had a pandemic baby mm. and are grieving what they thought those first few years were going to be like and how they aren't. I mean, we are all going through these very individual moments of grief and there's this push societally to like move on and get back to the office and do, do, do. And like, it's, it's still going on. We're still, people are still dying. The pandemic isn't over. And we need to process it. So I, this is kind of a very broad, vague question, but what do you think is, is a way in which, you know, maybe individually, but also within our own communities, begin to take a step to kind of work through that grief as a collective? Well, I think the most important thing is acknowledgement. That's the first and foremost step. Um we all scrambled last summer to like have our hot back summer because there were vaccines and everything was going back to normal. Um, and not only did it not repeatedly, <laughs> uh, 
But, you know, it became evident that as the dust was settling, a lot of things looked very different than they had in February 2020. It wasn't just that like, oh, we have Delta now and then Omicron, then Omicron 2. It's like, oh my God, how many, you know, things. But it's also that like the world has changed and our, the people around us have changed and our landscape has changed. That bodega, you know, maybe the owner died or maybe it went out of business. The one that we always went to, you know, the fabric of our day to day existence has shifted. It's, 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 it has catches in it and holes. And, if we don't acknowledge that, then how can we move forward? And how can we all, and also like, not to sound like poetic and meta, but like, how can we derive any meaning from this time? And how can we build something meaningful for ourselves in the future? If we're just like, okay, well, that's done with. I mean, you can't. (laughs) Right. There's like literally no way that everyone around you does not have a story or 10 or a hundred about tough times over the last two years. It absolutely does not have to be that someone died. Like you said, Dory, it could be that they had a pandemic baby. It could be, you know, like that they have, I have a five and eight year old and I have a kid now who's eight and looking around and seeing that things haven't gone back to the way they were when he was six. And he didn't really think about it that much when he was six. And now he's realizing more, you know, it's like we're all struggling with so much. And the only thing we have is each other. Like community is the salve we need right now. Everything is really freaking scary. It, I mean, at least it feels like that. Um, I feel like I'm like waiting for a headline. I am like scared to look at my New York Times app. I like fire it up with like one eye open these days. And so I feel like acknowledgement is the most important thing we can do because without acknowledgement, then it's really hard to have compassion for someone else. If you don't feel like what you're going through is really hard and get the acknowledgement you need and the support that you need in whatever feels hard, it is very hard to have compassion for somebody else. All you're going to do is compare yourselves with them and resent them and feel unseen. So my biggest piece of advice is get the acknowledgement you need and get the support you need for it. And a lot of times the support is not just a therapist. It's not just a friend. It's many different things altogether. It's many modalities all together. And you might need different things at different times. And as you both know, I'm a big believer in peer-to-peer support. So find a group of people who will give you an ongoing invitation to talk about whatever you need to talk about without judgment, without resentment, with some good advice, take it or leave it advice, who can show you alternate points of view and rituals and cultures. And let you scream into the cosmic void when you need to. That stuff goes really far. And even though our own journey is very, very unique, um, it certainly feels like we're not the only ones on this overwhelming journey Mm. when you have that. Ugh. Such great advice, Rebecca. We, we need to let you move on to the next interview, but, um, this has been just so wonderful to get to talk to you. And you've created such incredible resources for people. Can you tell us if they want to learn more about you, about Modern Loss, about your two books, where they can get all that information? 
Sure. Well, you can find a lot of stuff at modernloss.com. Everything is free. I also run the Modern Loss newsletter, which is on Substack. If you go to modernloss.com, you can sign up for it. And then we do have like a paid subscription level uh, in the newsletter because we do virtual events every month. We do yoga for grief support, mindfulness. We're doing something on like nature and grief um, because we're entering summer, like the amazing... Um, like nature-based instructor is going to be talking to us. Uh, I mean, it's amazing. And, and, and a lot of that supports modern loss's ability to literally do everything for free for like a global community. Um, and then I, I, yeah, my second book came out. Um, it's called the modern loss handbook, an interactive guide to moving through grief and building your resilience. I'm really proud of it. Its specific goal is to help you stay connected to yourself and to your person and to the world around you. It's not a workbook. It's not a journal, but you can write in it and you can journal in it in parts, but you can also throw it across the room and not look at it for four <laughs> months and come back to it. And it's meant to like really help you realize that like, as I was saying before, you do have a lot of these abilities inside you, but you just need the right questions and the right prompts and, you know, the right challenges. And I try and do it as like your friend who like doesn't know that much more than you, but mm. maybe like has learned a little bit more, but also runs a community and has learned a lot from that community and a lot from like really amazing experts. So it's the book I really wish that somebody would have handed to me in the first years after my yeah, parents' death. Totally. And when I finished writing it, I was my own guinea pig and I went through all the things, all the exercises. And I was like, oh, it's still germane to me 16 years later. So it's wherever books are sold. Um, and I, I hope you give it a chance to help you or somebody else. It's, it's really, it's a really great, I can, I can say I was reading it and learning something new and I've been talking about grief for over a decade. So. It's a fan, it's an excellent book no matter where you are. Yes. And I can also chime in and say as someone who has not been talking about grief for over a decade, <laughs> I, I also found it to be super helpful. So definitely check it out. All right. Thank you so much, Rebecca. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like this is like, honestly, the, the hour that I was most looking forward to in my day. Wow. It's really fun. My heart rate has gone down. So thank you. Oh, good. Thanks for all you do. I love you, you both. You know, Dory, I don't want to like speak for both of us, but I kind of do in that I would say our intention coming out of this conversation that we had at the start of the episode is for us to really stand up and participate in the fight for reproductive justice. Yes, I think no. that's such a good intention. I, I'm glad you spoke for me. Thank you. Thank you. I concur. I think this is a great intention for all of our listeners as well. And it's Let's going to be all and, of ours. Yeah. And, and also, obviously, this is not just like our intention for the week. This is this is an ongoing intention. Yeah. What if we were Could like, imagine okay, it's next week? <laughs> okay, great. We really fought for reproductive justice. It. All right. Moving on. <laughs> this week, I'm really going to try to relax. <laughs> 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 oh my God. Yeah. I, I mean, yes, uh, this is a, this is what we call a lifelong intention. And because that's how, you know, that's how long we're going to be at this. I, I've, I have come, I know, I know, I don't, I hate when I sound like a naive idiot, but like, this is going to be the rest of my life, you know? Yeah. I already knew it, it was. 
but there yeah. was a part of me that hoped like my daughters would and my other people would in in um get a different thing but they're not so <sighs> That was not very eloquent, but you know what I mean. No, but this I do is... know. we. It, yeah. Yeah. I do know exactly what you mean. And it sucks that we have to, we're still doing this. Well, we appreciate you all and um, welcome all your, all your thoughts. And we look forward to standing alongside all of you in this intention. Yeah. And donate to our giving circle. Yeah. We have a new, we have a new goal. It's $25,000. I'm so amazed and like honored that people have supported this giving circle that our our listeners are freaking amazing. Yeah. It's so cool. Y'all. All right. So, um, yeah, I agree with everything you said, Kate. And I do just want to remind everyone that this podcast is hosted and produced by me, Dori Shafrier, and Kate Spencer, and produced and edited by Sam Junio. Sammy Reed is our project manager. Our network partner is ACAST. And we'll talk to you all again soon. Bye.